morning. Um, we're going to get into John 20, and the way we've been doing this um, is we're going to read it together, and we're going to talk about it together, and then I've got a few things that I may or may not say, depending on what happens. Before I get into it, I want to pick up uh, a little bit where we were last week when we talked about, I shared some stories. I'm Justin, by the way. If you're new here, uh, I, uh, I'm your cousin from across the way. I live in Martinez, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out for the month. Uh, this is my son, Asa. Um, um, who has opted mostly for brownies this morning and less for tea. Uh, last week was kind of a tea experiment. He had four or five different kinds. He was trying to figure out really where he wanted to land in the tea area. This week he went, you know what? Let's go with what we know. Let's go with the sure shot brownie. Uh, I've benefited. So um, we talked, I, I, I shared some stories uh, last week about pieces and sometimes we feel like it seems like hey we're missing these pieces but that's not always uh, a problem can I get an amen because Lego will send the kit out and it's cool if you can put the kit together the way the kit looks but how beautiful and wonderful thing it is when you don't have all the pieces you think you're supposed to have and God sort of sets you free to pick up what you have available and build something that looks more like you and less like the Lego box and as I was driving home, I thought about this story because that, like, those, those things are cute uh, and they're good stories. We got into a little bit uh, last week about uh, like the part of that process for Ace and I when we were trying to build that Lego kit we realized we didn't have all the Legos was grief. It was like being bummed for a minute and like sulking out the window uh, like good Enneagram 4s. And um, which t- as I was driving home, I thought about this story. This is... Uh, this is Many years ago, um, I had been. I was asked to fill in uh, f- on a soccer team for an injured player. Uh, my wife's uh, rec league soccer team, which, which is to say that the person who was doing what I was asked to do before me had been hurt while doing it, um, and I still said yes. And uh, my wife. My wife still is, a, is, is, is like an excellent soccer player. She played her entire life, you know, high school and into college. I played soccer like up until I was like seven. And this is a few years ago. So I was, I was probably like, I don't know, late 30s, early 40s. I'm 45 now. So there'd been a good solid couple of decades between like my soccer experience and me filling in for this injured player who, like I said, had been injured while playing soccer, which is what I'd been asked to do. So um, you know where the story's going. So I, uh, I show up. Uh, I don't do much in the way of practice because, like, why? So uh, I show up, and my goal is to just not make things worse. Like, I just want to barely be serviceable. So if the ball comes to me, I'm going to assume that's probably by accident, and I'm going to just kind of push that direction of someone else with the same color jersey. This is, the, in, this is the entire plan for my soccer night. And it goes well enough that I gain this confidence, which in my life sometimes is good and sometimes isn't. Uh, and the, the way it played out was this. As the ball was kicked kind of towards me, it passed me and then passed my defender. And I looked up, and the situation was that there was me, and then there was the defender, and then the ball, and their goal. And I thought, okay, all I need to do is just, like, 
sprint past this person, get to the ball, tap it lightly into the goal, and then I will <laughs> be carried off the field while they sing We Are the Champions. Uh, this is how it worked in my mind. There was one, there's only one defender between me and victory, and it turns out one defender is enough. Um, I'm told I was upside down in the air. Uh, I don't remember that. I'm told I made a noise while I was spinning in the air. I don't remember that either. What I remember is landing and a searing pain shooting down my shoulder past my elbow into my fingers. I stood up and I ran around for a minute and the referee said, you look like you're hurt. And I said, I think I, think I am. So I go to the sideline and I'm now passed by the, this player who, she is, now, she is now filling in for the injured player who was filling in for the player who was injured before that. Mercy. Uh, so I get to the sideline and I'm greeted there by my buddy Jesse who was also playing for the team. Jesse, when he's not playing rec league soccer, works in real estate and has for a number of years, which apparently qualifies him to diagnose injuries on site. It's such a guy moment. He goes, I think it's, uh, I think it's out of socket. I was like, yeah. He goes, I kid you not. He goes, you want me to pull on that? <laughs> no. Like, why? Why would you do that? So when I get to the hospital later that night, it's not a, it, it's, it, I suffer what's called an ACE, like a severe AC separation. So the bones had come undone. Some of the ligaments had torn. It was incredibly painful. <laughs> and what I was told in medical terms was that it had Jesse, that, that having Jesse pull on the arm would have been very, very bad. Uh, so all this is one setup for the, for the, the next full-blown reality, which is this. Um, I was scheduled to be, the game was at like 7.30 p.m. I was scheduled to be in Philadelphia the following evening uh, playing a concert. And the playing of guitar requires both arms. Um, I don't remember a lot about the travel day. We were up at used like 3.30 or so to catch a flight out of Oakland. I remember occasionally uh, like having these glimpses of memory in which like, my wife was driving and would like go over a speed bump and I'd be like, ah, and she would say, I'm sorry. These are the things I remember. I remember getting to the venue and that my, my wife, my wife, we, we, were, we wrapped my shoulder in like a big old like bandage so that the bones would stay in place while I played guitar because I have to do this kind of stuff. Now, I mean, I studied English literature and philosophy in college. My wife was an art major, which apparently qualifies us to treat injuries. We didn't ask the doctor about that, nor did we even ask Jesse. Um, so that night, the show was like unofficially sponsored by Vicodin. Um, and there, like, I, again, I have these like slivers of memory, these like moments that I kind of remember, and none of them are particularly good. Um, I, I almost always do everything standing. I remember that I had to be seated. I remember there being a lot of pain and occasionally I had to stop and like put my arm down for a second. And then there was this moment. Um, there was a, a moment in which like I distinctly remember forgetting lyrics. And it wasn't like, a, like I've done it before. Like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't remember the lyrics of the song. And it was a song that was kind of like, like I'd played like a hundred shows that year. 
and I had played that song in every one of those shows. It was one of those songs that, like, if you, if, you know, for people who were, like, listeners of mine back then, they would have known the song. It's one of the songs they go, you know, it's like you go to see an artist you like, and, like, she's playing that song, and she gets something wrong, and you're like, okay. Like, it's a personal offense. So I can't, I can't remember the words to this song. And, I, and, I, and I've got my head down, and I'm strumming, and I'm just, like, that the, the, the weird kind of uh, fuzzy heat of embarrassment like start taking over my like and then I heard it because they started singing and it was like a few people at once and then like more of the room picked it up and then I was just playing accompanying guitar while this room of people sang this song and like towards the tail end of the last verse I was like oh yeah, that's right and I remember the song and I kind of joined in that moment, that was this like, beautiful moment. I was, this is, there was 2000, you were born 2010, so that was 2008? 2008. Um, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, more, no, more than that, because I was here, so uh, five weeks ago, I was in Philadelphia for a wholly different event. And I ran into this guy named Dan who's been a listener and a reader for a long time. And we're hanging out in between these moments at this thing that I'm doing. And he goes, dude, you remember that show in 2008 when you came out all broken? I was like, yeah. He goes, I've probably seen you like speak or play 15 or 20 times in my life. That was my favorite night ever. I was like, why? He goes, because like we helped you. Oh, yeah. Reality is, as I said thank you to them then, you know where the word thank you really comes from like in English? Like when you say, when, if you gave me a gift, this is, how, this is how I normally think of thanks. When I don't think of thanks well enough, when I don't, th like I think like this, you give me something. Like you give me like a, like a cookie jar, like a plastic cookie jar as an example, shaped like a dolphin, and that if you go to open the cookie jar, it makes a ga -ga 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 noise. If you were to give me one of those, let's just say someone had done that. I would receive that and say, thank you. It's just an exchange. You give me something, I give you words back. But the word think is the root of the word thank. So in Old English, if I was to say thank you for something, what I would be meaning by that is, like, first and foremost, I see you in the gift you just gave me. And also, I will think of you while I have this in my possession. So if you were to say, give me a plastic cookie jar shaped like a dolphin, that when you open the lid, I'm like, ah, gah, 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 every time I take a cookie out in the middle of the night, I would think of you for better or for worse. As I said, thank you to the people in that room that night. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What I realized is that there, was, there wasn't a moment, and there has never been a moment, over the course of any of the stuff I've ever done since 1993 when I started vocational ministry and music and young life, there wasn't ever a moment in which the gift of the other people in the room wasn't entirely necessary. Can I get an amen? Like, I don't have a career of any kind without the people in that room or any other room I was in. The way I come to that knowledge is that I, as I came up to a point of limitation and brokenness and weakness on my own part. This reliance that we have on one another, that culture, all culture, 
including Christian culture, let me say it again, that all culture, including Christian culture, often wants to weed us out of and to make us somehow believe that we are self-sufficient and that belonging to another person or being a part of a community is somehow optional. It's somehow like a thing we get to do if we kind of want to. This notion that we don't need one another We come to a full recognition of our humanity in the moments when we are most human, which is the moments in which we recognize or forced to recognize our weaknesses. Can I get an amen? Amen. Which is why when we preach the gospel, everything moves through the cross. Everything does. That point of death, that point where all comes down, the point where everyone feels abandoned, we move through that space of abandonment into new life. And if we don't, I'll just say this real quick, this is like the hardest part of teaching all morning. If we don't actually do that well, if we don't do the work of the cross well, it's way harder to receive, to recognize and practice the resurrection life on the other side of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. I had to break my shoulder in order to recognize the gift of other people in a music career that I thought was entirely predicated on my gifts and talents and strengths and abilities. It really wasn't. It was predicated on the support and the connectedness of a whole world of people that were in it with me. We see those things in moments of weakness. So let's go to the text. And uh, if, I, if I can get three volunteers, uh, we're going to read through the text three different times. Uh, and we'd, we'll use this one um, up here. I need three volunteers. Anybody starting? One, two, got one. Two, and preferably you got two men. Come on, ladies. Uh, I was not making an all-man morning. Thank you. So we'll go in that order. We'll go first. And then what we'll do is after the, after the first reading, we take a moment. We kind of take it in. Take a quick break. Second reading. Then we'll take it in for another moment. Third reading. Then we'll have a little bit of conversation about what we hear, about what we hear and feel in the text. Whenever you're ready. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus, her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God. And your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. Second reading. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you. So take a moment and was there a word or a phrase that jumped out at you? Was there something stuck on your heart? Is there a question that gets raised up in you? Is there something that kind of like stirs in you? And in a few moments we'll have our third reader. She's over. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and to your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you. So, what did you hear? What stood out at you? Was there a question that came up? When you read through the text, what strikes you? What did you notice? Over there. Yeah. Hold on a second. We got a mic coming your way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now you're on the podcast. Okay. You're famous. So that mysterious part again, where he appears and she doesn't recognize him, and this had happened elsewhere, like in other stories too, where, but she, yeah, he's. It's odd, right? That he, she doesn't recognize him. Yeah. Until he says Mary, and then she does. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, she thinks he's the gardener. To me, it's the grief she's feeling and then obviously the sudden joy and relief that he's not truly dead. Mm. And I can't even imagine that kind of feeling to suddenly realize that somebody you thought was dead, you knew was dead, not thought, knew was dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then now is not. Yeah, I have a similar thought and that is she went with expectation to see a dead man. Her, her dead savior. Yeah. Grief. She was there. She was grieving. She expected 
to see the confirmation of why she was grieving. Mm -hmm. It was in her head, in her heart, this is what's to be expected. This is what I, I'm gonna see. Yeah. So that's speaking a lot to me. Mm. Your expectations are coloring everything. Mm. But then, you know, there, God just like dashes all that with, <laughs> with hope and mm. resurrection. And so, so much more positivity coming out of. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what's striking me. I like that. And over here, I think it was next. Down here, right? Um, just that there are differences um, between the stories, that there are, sometimes she sees one person, sometimes outside, and then yeah. there she sees two people, two angels that are obviously angels inside. And it's hard to know if you can reconcile all that, but yeah. the, the actual story doesn't change as a result of it. There's no, right. there's not, they're not substantive, it doesn't matter really. And yeah. Jesus seems to say exactly the same thing each time. So I think my takeaway is, even though a story can be told different ways, it doesn't necessarily change the meaning and the effect it has on you from reading it. Yeah. Yes, Part of what he's mentioning is, I mean, there are in, it's in one of the accounts, Luke's account, I think it's like one person outside and then there's another account that's like, and, and you know, people will try to, to weave these things together. I tend to kind of feel like as they talked about these things for the weeks and months and years afterward, they were like, there were two people. There weren't two people. There were two people. There was one guy. It wasn't a guy. It was an angel. He was wearing, he was wearing white. Was he wearing white? He was wearing white. Was he outside? I don't know. The Lord is raised from the dead, guys. I think that's how it went. That's exactly Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> when he, what struck me was the contrast between uh, him, her wanting to cling to Jesus and him saying, go talk to your brothers and sisters. Mm. Say more. What do you mean? <clears throat> well, sometimes maybe it's not time to cling to Jesus. Sometimes it's maybe time to go talk to people. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, over here. I like the way that he leads into this. Woman, why are you crying? Yeah. It gives, gives her, you know, a moment. And then... Uh, who are you looking for? The setup. <laughs> yeah. And then, because when she gets it, it's going to just totally blow her mind. Yeah. But, but the grief, as the others have said, oh, if you're the gardener, they're telling me I want to take care of them. Mary. Yeah. Yeah. What a moment. There, there's a great song that uh, the lighthouse singers of, of Marin used to do, and it was always the grand finale. And it was, I have seen the Lord. Mm. And it was an explosive number. Yeah. Yeah, what a good one. This, um, like this story, and a few of the things that stand out for me, like, like later in John's gospel, some of the same themes get kind of played out in the echoes. So this is, I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through this part. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, look at this real quick. This is like post-resurrection. This is like later on. Uh, with the doors locked for fear, like they're scared, right? Of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, the same kind of process of like, first, the, the expectation. 
right? That in the same way that like Mary went to the tomb expecting a dead body, these men are huddled together, locked behind doors because their expectation is everything they just invested in for the last three years no longer matters. So Jesus shows up. But even him walking in <laughs> through a locked door, <laughs> boom, like there isn't immediate recognition and joy. You see that? It's not immediate. So he shows him his hands and his side. They're still like, we're not sure what it is we're looking at. This is the very next verse. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Think about that for a moment. Like Thomas is out to like get snacks or something and like misses this moment. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. For Thomas, you leave, you come back and they're saying, hey, remember how we were freaking out a little while ago? No, he's alive. Like where's Thomas's mind? Where's your mind? Be honest. Is your mind like, well, hey, if you guys saw it, or are you a little bit more like Thomas? You're like, listen, like, I know you want this. I mean, have we been there, right, with friends? Like, hey, I know you want that relationship to get peace back together. Someone say, uh-oh. Like, I know you want that to happen. Hey, I know you think you're going to get that job. I know it. I Listen, but hey, you've got to be the realist. What a rough road for Thomas. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Committed. Committed to the story the way he understands it. A week later, it's so good. A week later, where are they? The disciples were in the house again. They're huddled back again. They have not fully undone that fear. Somebody say, okay. Hey, they're still in process. It wasn't like, hey, they resurrected Lord, bam, next, we're done hiding. No, they were still hiding a week later. They were still in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I think this is a greeting. Like, I think this is like a sort of a hello, but I also think like you see this with, with the angels. You see this with Christ. I think some of it is like, hey, 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 hold on, hold on, because people freak out. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a bunch here. A couple of the things for me are like, wow, like the process time. And that the Lord has grace for that process. That it wasn't just like, it's too bad that Thomas wasn't in the room when I showed up last time. I'll come back. I'll come back. And I'll give you your next shot. In fact, when I show you myself as the resurrected Lord in the locked room where you guys are hiding from the world that I'm trying to send you into, if you're still there a week later, I'll come back. And I'll come back and then I'll, I'll offer myself to the friend of yours who is committed to doubting me. I'll come back. I'm going to read through this real quick. And I was going to put it on the screen, but it said, I, I, uh, I like reading. And I'm going to do my own little reading here. This is another piece of the resurrection account uh, from a different witness. This is from Luke. And he writes, um, returning to the tomb, 
They told all, uh, I'm sorry, returning from the tomb, this is when the women leave and they come and they go to talk to the men because that's how it normally happens. They told this to, to the 11 and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with, uh, with him who told the disciples and the apostles. But the, but the words, hear this, the words seemed to them idle tale. Like these women are announcing the resurrection. And to the 11 who'd spent three years with them, they're like, that sounds like nonsense. And they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. The next day. Well, not quite the next day. Later on. Now, on that same day, two of them, these disciples... Uh, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about, how, about all these things that had happened. While they were still talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking? I mean, it's the same thing he pulls on Mary. He's like, who are you looking for? The, the character in Christ, where he's just, he's not like super serious guy. He's like, so who are you looking for here at the, uh, the tomb? I'm looking for Jesus. He's like, weird. Yeah, it's, I, hi. And he walks up to these guys who are like, who, they're discussing him. They're like, they're saying he's raised. He's like, what are you guys talking about? I love this. What are you discussing with one another as you walk along? They stood still looking sad. One of them, whose name was, Tro uh, was Cleopas, answered him, are you, the only, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He said to them, what things? <laughs> these moments, and what, what happens in a little while is as, they, as, they, as they're talking, he eventually, you know, he pulls over and they, they see him and then he disappears again. Hear all this stuff. Now, if you are writing a legend, just as a side note, if you're writing a legend about a resurrected God, this is not how you write that legend, right? You don't write a legend in which like everyone who is around and fully invested doesn't get it for weeks on end. That sounds like a really human journey that also hopefully gives us hope. That when new life starts showing up and we don't catch it at first, you're in the same process as the disciples, you're in the same process. This has been the shape of church from the beginning of church. You don't get it at first, and then you forget it, and then he comes back, and you relearn over and over again. Here are some things I want to point out about resurrection life, about new life on the other side of death and sacrifice. You may not recognize resurrection or new life. You might not. You might not see it for what it is. Somebody say amen. You might not see it for what it is. How many people recognize Jesus on first glance? Nobody. Literally no one recognized it. Now, why? I don't entirely know. I don't really know. But my experience of resurrection life is that like, it does, one, my expectations tend to sort of like blind me from the reality of resurrection life. I expect death to stay. I expect to be afraid or have to be afraid. I expect these things and they keep me from, from like seeing resurrection life. Also, resurrection life can look a little bit different. So it takes a minute to recognize. You might not recognize it. Always be a community of people who are willing to relearn what life looks like. I'm going to say it again. 
always be a community of people who are willing to relearn what life looks like. Because when new life happens, what the text tells you is that nobody recognizes it at first. Nobody. And that, re- that recognition and realization comes because the Lord is faithful and not because we're smart enough. Second bit. Somebody say amen. amen. No, but on the real though. <laughs> Boy, we'd be a much deeper, richer church in America if we did this. Boy, we'd be a much deeper, richer church in America if we did this. Boy, we would be a much deeper and richer church in America if we did this. And we've got to move past it being cute or funny that the women were the first people to bear witness to the resurrection. And that when they told the men, the men didn't believe them and had to take the extra step to see it for themselves. There is goodness, truth, beauty, and resurrection life bursting forth all over the world through women who are preaching the gospel and far too many men will not listen. Somebody say amen. Amen. You want to be a thriving church long term? Listen to women. This is a witness born from the text and pay attention to hear what Christ is saying through the women in your life, in your culture. Different people come to recognition and realization at different times and different paces. I'm thankful for Thomas. Thomas takes a while to come around. Other people will take a while to come around to catch the vision, to buy all the way in. There is grace in Christ. May there be grace in us constantly for other people's paces. There's, that's just not my pace. One of the, like, the most pervasive mistakes of my life as a leader has been to believe that not just my vision matters more, which sometimes it does because I'm more invested in the vision, but that my pace is, is, is the thing that like, should dictate other people's pace. And that's just not true. So I've left people behind at times and I've not moved fast enough at times because I've, I've, I've not given enough value to the pace and the life of the people around me. What great communal leadership looks like is to give people their space and their time, to help folks move faster if they need to move faster, to slow down when it's time to slow down, but people just move at different paces. And there's no vision, there's no mission, there's no like, goal or achievement that is worth more than the people you're traveling with. One more time. There's no vision, there's no mission, there's no achievement, there's no thing we will ever achieve as a community that is more valuable than the people we're traveling with. But wait, there's more. A couple quick things. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. I love this story. We're going to go all the way back to John. It happened this way. Simon, son of Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Simon Peter, Thomas, notice Didymus, Nathan, uh, Nathaniel from Cana, uh, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter, this is the part we've talked about on retreat a few times where Simon had kind of quit and just gone back to the old life. He went back fishing. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples, here it is again, 
did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? This is again one of those moments where it's like, he knows they had a rough night fish. He's like, how's it going? And they're like, no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter puts clothes on to go swimming. The other disciples followed in the boat, which is a smarter decision, taking the net full of fish, because he had abandoned his responsibility, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. I love that. Like, they, Peter leaves, this is a good moment, Peter leaves the boat, swims ashore. They drag the fish in so that when Jesus is like, guys, go get some fish, all the guys are like, kind of feel like it's your turn, Peter. So he gets to go by himself and get the fish. I love that moment, especially. It was full of our fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was how, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Same group of folks, three times, a few notes. You will not be the same. And this is for you. This isn't just Bible lesson. This is like, this is Bamerin. You will not be the same. You won't. There is new life being born in this place. You've made new decisions. You will not be the same. One of the reasons it's difficult sometimes to recognize new life, the hardest place it is to recognize new life, is in your own life. You will not be the same. As Christ is reborn in you over and over again, you will not look the same. You shouldn't. You won't. Expect to be different. And expect that weird disorientation, communally, interpersonally, of like, I'm not sure who we are right now. Okay. That's not the point. The point is he's in it. Can I get an amen? amen? Last two notes. They're kind of tied together. Remember and dream. So Jesus brings them ashore. And in, in so many of these moments right after the resurrection, what they're doing is they're having these conversations. They're telling stories. It's part of why I love the Emmaus Road story. Because what they're doing is they're, they're like, they're reaching back and they're re-remembering. What has happened? Where, how do we get to this point? They were remembering. That is like one of the key practices of communal spiritual life is to, to stop and take time to remember. Not just to remember what has happened biblically and historically, but to remember what has happened communally, politically, interpersonally, in between us as a group of people. Spend time remembering. Hold on. Remember how you got here. Remember how good it was before. Remember the things that were difficult. Remember and dream. This is a choice I think we feel like we have to make, but I don't think we ever have to make the choice. They have to let go of what used to be in order to move on. I completely entirely disagree. Entirely disagree. The resurrected body of Jesus bore the scars that like, were signifying of his death. 
The resurrected body of Christ. The old way, he, the, the reason he could hand his hands inside to, 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 to Thomas and be recognized as Christ is because he was still wounded. He still had the scars of his death. You carry forth your history into your future. Do both things. Remember who you have been as a people. Those classic funny stories, make space and time. Get together and hear those stories and dream about what comes next. Which leads me to the last piece, and this is how I think this happens uh, more often than not. Make it a practice. Like, more parties. Can someone say more parties? More parties. parties. Sundays are great. These are wonderful times. And part of why I do things the way I do them, especially the front end, is because like, I think conversation is better than preaching. I think preaching is necessary and good. And we need teaching. We need to hear the stories. But I want to retrain us as a whole culture of people. My community in Martinez, the community is going to teach you that like, what does it look like, sound like, feel like for us to come back and tell the story of us, to tell the story of Christ among us together? Parties. Um, I'll end on a personal note. Um, when I talk about not looking the same, like I said, I, I, I planted a church in 1998 with people, a lot of those people that I've been in ministry with from like 1993, 94 on. We don't look the same. Not even close. In fact, a lot of the people, a lot of those folks, they don't really go to, they don't gather with us on Sundays anymore. Some of them because they don't believe in Jesus anymore. Can you hear me real quick? Things change. A lot of things change. People have different needs. They wanted to go to different Sunday service. People had different theologies. They wanted to go to different places that served different theologies on the table. Like, we don't look the same. New people came along that, like, necessitated some significant cultural shift on our part. Significant institutional shift on our part. We do not look the same. And that's fine. It's more than fine. But that's where this has become so vitally important for me. Because those friends of mine who don't believe in Jesus anymore, they'll show up at my house and have a meal. And we'll have these memories. And we'll talk. And we're still in community together. Those friends of mine who go to different church services on Sundays, they'll show up at my house. I'll show up at their house and we'll have these memories and we'll remember and dream together. There are people who will come into this space and this will look different down the road. Probably the best place to get to know those people is like a meal at your house, party, bring over like 20, 30, 70 people if you can and have a party and share life together and get to know one another. And in those spaces, those folks who don't feel like they can be around this place institutionally in the same way they used to be because there's weirdness and awkwardness, they'll fit in your doorway. Emotionally, socially, socioeconomically. More parties. I love, I love that the thing we're about to go do, communion, it's a meal. I love, love that when Jesus, the third time, announced himself to the disciples, they came down. And it is my favorite verse in all the Bible. John 21, 12. Come, let us have breakfast. It's an entire verse. Come, let us have breakfast. We joke around about, and and it's like, again, we cutify these things that are really powerful. That people are like, he eats and drinks too much to be a serious person. That's what the religious people thought. And we make that cute. My God, I hope people think that about you. The Bay Marin community, 
They party too much. God, I hope someone says that about you. They say that about me, but then they show up at the party. Let me talk about it. There is new life being born in you. You've been in process. Some of you are not in the same place in that process. There's grace in that process. There's grace in your life. What you know, what you can know, is that there's resurrection life being born in you. How does this get played out long term? By the grace, the mercy, and the goodness of God. Have more parties. Get together. Listen to your women. Have patience for the folks who don't get it the way you do. Have patience for yourself when you forget. This table, when Jesus got the guys together um, and broke the bread, you remember that moment, it was, it was kind of uh, topsy-turvy at the time. It was kind of 11 slash 12, because Judas was a little on edge. And Jesus still broke bread. And what he said was, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the thing to call them to remember. But then he gave them a thing that was going to point forward. Because the cross does both things. The cross is a remembrance and it is a pointing forward to the resurrection life. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the glass and he said, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. When you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. It is a meal. It is a gathering of remembrance and of dreaming. And it's why we do it every Sunday. Because as we come back to this place, we re-embrace this resurrection story that we come into all day long and sometimes forget and need to be reminded of. And that's not just part of the process. That's the process. So when you're ready, come to the table. Uh, you'll dip bread into the juice. Uh, I'm going to share a song and we'll wrap it up in a few minutes. Injuries are part of the game. I didn't know that going into the soccer. Uh, it always seemed like a really lightweight sport to me until I was tripped by that uh, girl um, who was defending me. She's very good. Um, and in a sense, it is true, right? I mean, injuries are part of the game. Loss is part of the game. Um, what we discover about ourselves in those moments, they're not just lessons learned. I think they're enriching moments of deep humanity. I believe fully, it's part of why I'm here, um, that you are like destined to, and as long as you're faithful to the process, be a richer, deeper, stronger, wiser, more generous, more loving, 
more fruitful community than you could possibly have imagined on the other side of your process. That's what I'm trusting. That's what I hope you continue to trust as well. So receive this blessing. Lord, thank you for these sisters and brothers. Thank you for the gift they are to you, the gift they are to one another. May they not only continue to be a gift to one another, but they would be a gift to anyone who walks through those doors, through the doors of the household and the doors of their lives. That that scripture about knowing who they are by way of their love would become ever and increasingly true. That people would know that these people belong to you because of the way you love. May that love be that resurrection kind of love that knows it's past, walks in confidence and courage, and gives itself away to others for the sake of Christ and the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Have a great week.